Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to this week's Failed Critics Podcast, where we're back to a trio once again. I'm your host, Steve Norman, joined by James Diamond. Hello. And Owen Hughes. Hello. Uh, this week we have in our new release review, um, just one film, but it is a big one, Gravity. Before that, obviously, we've got what we've been watching. Uh, and we have got Owen hosting the quiz uh, and some news for you as well uh, with with the... Um, British Independent Film Award nominations being announced. Um, but as Owen won the quiz, he made us watch a film called The Bay, um, and we have all watched it. Owen, would you like to just introduce the film quickly, and then we'll have a little quick review before you do your first quiz. Sure, OK. Um, I don't think it really takes that much of an introduction, really. It's quite a simple idea. Uh, it's directed by Barry Levinson, uh, and it's about uh, a small town, small sort of coastal fishing town um who suddenly yeah, there's like a, a a play going around or something's happening to the the people of the of this little town and they suddenly everyone's getting really ill um and it's a sort of horror i guess it's from the same producers of things like paranormal activity and insidious and that kind of thing so i think that's the market they're aiming for and to be honest i thought it was quite a, a scary film but it is a found footage film and i think what i found most interesting about it. it was having such a big name director coming in to do a film like this and so that's mm. why i was really trying to push it last week to see what um particularly james thought of it because i know his opinions on film footage but also mm. steve because he's he tends to fall down more on my side with these kind of films so i thought it'd be an interesting one to um to get your two's opinions on so what what did you think of it I, do you know what? I'll, I liked it, actually. Oh, good. I, I okay. did enjoy it. Um, first off, I want to thank you for picking a film that came in under 90 minutes. That was very good of you. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I have, it, you're right, it is really interesting, the fact that Barry Levis, the man who directed Rain Man, mm. um, directed this. And But uh, on the found footage subject, I, you, you've described it perfectly, I think. Uh, on the found footage side of it, I will say it does, it passes my own bizarre... Um, <laughs> unique rules around uh, found footage films that I'll believe in that actually for n- I'd, I'd say 90% of the footage just felt like real footage to me and that that's the key for me it's got it, I, I've got to be drawn in yeah, I thought it was very clever in the way that um, there was one sequence where a warning came up beforehand saying that some of this footage was water damaged and you think well obviously it wasn't but I, I like that 
I like that they went with that, and it it felt really like a documentary, and I think that was the key thing for me, is it felt like a properly put together and made documentary, and you could believe it as some kind of eco-warning documentary. Uh, it's it's really not far off being that realistic. Um, I, the film it actually most reminded me of this year was Blackfish, uh, which I've okay. raved about on here a few times, uh, in terms of a documentary which mixes in a bit of talking heads. It's you know it's very low tech, and you kind of get the reason for that in the film. You understand why they haven't got expensive experts doing talking heads, but that mixture of home shot footage. Um, uh, and and but a reason for that home shot. None of the home shot footage feels like someone just messing around with a camera and stuff like that. It's all like small little vignettes of people's lives that day. But you watch that and go, yeah, I can believe people would film that. And so that the whole found footage side that that drew me in. It's quite gory and horrible mm. in places. Mm. And it, there's a few it's a, genuine shocks. It's a bit it's a bit uh, grim in places. Mm. Yeah, no, I, I think like you say, there's, there's some found footage films where there's there's no reason for everything to be recorded. Mm. You just think you would, yeah. like even though I liked Cloverfield, you just think you wouldn't be still recording this. You would have you would have, you know, got rid of that camera a long time ago. But this one it wasn't just one person obviously, and you can see for pretty much because obviously it's not just people's personal cameras or, or phones mm. or whatever, it's CCTV or police car cameras. Mm. For for most of it you can see there's a justified reason for why yeah. you're seeing but And some real inventiveness as well, like someone's um, uh, video they uploaded to WebMD and stuff like that. I thought, actually, it was it was very inventive. Uh, and it's, and I'd, I'd say it's, it, it's the found footage film, which I've found has, has kind of moved the genre on a little step. Uh, and it's one of the few films that I think has really... Um, looked at where we are as a society in terms of our sharing of data and information and things like that, and I don't know if that was—I don't know if that was ever an intent of the filmmakers, but I actually do think it's a very interesting commentary on how we share news, how we talk to uh, our friends, our family, and how actually is how we are different as a society now. This film would have been impossible to make ten years ago, and I think that mm. in its in itself is quite exciting that you can. Yeah, I, I've slagged off the found footage genre many times because I think there are far too many lazy retreads. But this did something different in the way that Blair Witch Project for me did something different. And I think the the problem with found footage is a lot of people, you know, directors, producers, whatever, use it as it's because it's a a cheap pro, it's probably yeah. a cheap way of making yeah. a film rather than actually filming it properly. If you know what yeah. I mean. Yeah, this film looked like it was designed to be a found footage film. Yeah, yeah, I agree that's a good point. I think what happens, like exactly what Steve is saying, is people think, oh, "I want to tell this story. What's the cheapest way I can do that? Well, I'll just yeah. tack on this found footage there's, there's stuff." Lot, there's a lot of really good found footage films, like mm. First Paranormal Activity, Blair Witch Project. Um, this one's pretty good itself. Um, Cloverfield, I like, even though, like I said, there's not really a reason mm. for him to be filming it. It's still a good. It's still, you know, a pretty good film. And Chronicle as well. Chronicle, yeah. Chronicle is, Chronicle is really good um, as a kind of found footage film as mm. well. 
Yeah, but, but like, I think it's it's interesting with this. I what I found when I watched it was that, like James says, that it's like they've decided, okay, what would realistically a found footage, a, a real mm. based on a real event, what would it actually look like? Well, what it would look like is bits of information scrabbled from everywhere. Well, it's, essentially, essentially, it's kind of like you know when Channel Four put out that documentary about, I think it was the tsunami in two thousand and four, and they'd mm. done it through everyone's films and CCTV thing. Mm. It was kind of like that. It was that, that yeah. the main woman, the news reporter, the girl, was was effectively, by looks of it, part of a documentary about what mm. happened and how it was all covered up and everything. So they were piecing together the real footage from everything they could find. Mm. And it yeah. kind of that it was kind of that feel to it. Yeah, and that and I think that for me is why it works, why it's something that I've not really seen before. And actually, I think that added to a lot of the dread and the was the the realism of it, um, and not just the realism of it on screen, but the realism of the situation as well. And you think, actually, this isn't this isn't that fantastical. It's not, this no, is it's, actually, not, it's not beyond the realms of possibility. Exactly not. Yeah, it, it, well, it, <laughs> it stretch. No, it stretches. It stretches a lot of things, but maybe not. You know, isopods from the prehistoric era, but. You know, there are diseases out there. You know, I was just reading today about all these different epidemics that could actually take down the world. I keep meaning to watch Contagion. I, I do love Brilliant this film. kind of film. I love um, Outbreak. I loved Outbreak growing up. Fant- you know, uh, I do love this kind of, you know, mankind getting destroyed by nature type film. Um, and I think this did this did it really, really well. And so thank you, Owen. I was, um, I, I was, I enjoyed that. Good. I'm gonna win your range yet. <laughs> it will. <happen laughs> yeah, that's, just don't make him watch Apollo 18. That's <laughs> oh, oh yeah. That one for, yeah, when I'm feeling a bit meaner. Uh, that is just drivel. Uh, anyway, <laughs> yeah. So Owen, your first time at being quiz master. Yeah, it is. Um, Exciting. Yeah, I was. I was a little bit unsure how I was going to start here. I thought, do you start with like the earliest film, or do you go for the one that's the most obscure? But I'm just, I've just picked them at almost random. I think. So. I, I, I always went in the chronological order, but I never, I always miss films out because sometimes it's loads. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll give you, I'll give you a tip. I'm not going in chronological order. Okay. Oh. Well, I will go. I will try and avoid some of the more popular ones until perhaps I think you're struggling a little bit. Okay. Okay. Well, the first film is Miss Congeniality. Okay. Sandra Bullock. So I've got an op- <laughs> it's not Sandra Bullock. <laughs> that, be that wasn't the obvious one I had in my... Okay. Okay, you're right. Second yeah. film, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Uh, Michael Caine. Yeah, well done, James. Yes. That was really quick. <laughs> so yeah. have you started from zero? Uh, uh, yeah, it means that so I'm now 1-0 up on Steve. Okay. In mine and Steve's mini battle there. Yeah. Oh, Mixie Caine. Oh, Morris Mickle. Mickleplate. <laughs> That's it, isn't it? Um, awesome. Oh yeah. Yeah, I was gonna go for gonna go for Goldmember next, and then it was Jaws: The Revenge. So. Oh, I see. See now, he was when you said Miss Congeniality, I thought it was him or uh, Bill Shatner uh, Uh, because I know that. Let's see, because I've I've seen Miss Congeniality. (laughs) I've seen it a long time ago. Oh well. Yeah. Yeah. I work hard on this one. (laughs) Nice little link. I haven't seen Miss Congeniality. Oh, I, I, I haven't, as we'll probably discuss later, I have not seen many of Ms. Bullock's films. <laughs> so. Yes, this is going to be an interesting discussion later on. Anyway, um, 
the Biffer Awards. Are we calling them the Biffers? I think we can call them the Biffers. Biffers. I like the Biffers. I like the Biffers. It sounds like a... It's a it wasn't that a Viz character? A Biffers a bin, isn't it? It's that as well, yeah. I'm oh, sure yeah. there was someone called Billy Biffer or something like that in Biz. They've really had, like, one award, like, worst film, sponsored by Biffer, the bin company. Yeah. Just... Yeah. Any, anyway, let's, let's yeah. talk about the British Independent Film Awards properly, rather than make a mockery of them. Yes. So, uh, British Independent Film Awards, it's their 16th annual awards. Um, the nominations were released... At the weekend, I think it was, and the ceremonies on the eighth of December. Uh, it's it's interesting actually. I've already got a few that because I've seen, I kind of want them to win. Just um, best independent British film is going to be down to Metro Manila, which I've heard a lot of good things about, but not had a chance to see. Philomena, which me and Owen were talking very positively about on the last podcast. Uh, the Selfish Giant, which. I haven't had a chance to see yet. It's a, a modern retelling of a Oscar Wilde mm. novel, I think. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. Um, Starred Up, which I know nothing about, which, but which has got a lot of uh, nominations. Does anyone else know anything about Starred Up? Never heard of it until I opened the article. Interesting. Well, we're going to look into that. We're ever the professionals. <laughs> um, and finally, The Weekend, uh, subtitled The Weekend, uh, of course, uh, which I enjoyed English. a few weeks ago. Um, yes. Uh, best director uh, has got Selfish Giant, Metro Manila, and Starred Up. But um, John S. Baird for Filth has been nominated, which is excellent. And Jonathan Glazer for Under the Skin, which I'm really looking forward to seeing. But I don't think it'll be out our, in our pastures until like March next year or something like that. That's the one with um, uh, Scarlett Johansson as the alien who falls to earth and starts sucking the life out of men in Scotland. Mm. Um, I'm excited by that. Um, just the concept or... Uh, the, the concept of Scarlett Johansson yeah. driving around in a van sucking the life out of men. That's, that's a concept I'm, I'm all for. But also Jonathan Glazer is, of course, the uh, visionary uh, pop music director who made Sexy Beast and then didn't make anything else, I think, for eight years or something like that. Um Best Actress, we've got Judy Dench for Philomena, Lindsay Duncan for The Weeknd, Scarlett Johansson for Under the Skin, uh, Cerise Ronan for How I Live Now. Cerise Ronan. Oh, yeah, sorry. That's the only name yeah. so far I've looked up paid to pronounce on the Cerise, podcast. thank you. <laughs> uh, I thought I'd just take a stab at it. You know, I, I didn't look up. That was terrible. And Felicity Jones for The Invisible. There's a few performances in there that I really enjoy. Um, Judy Dench and Lindsay mm. Duncan, both fantastic in both those films. Best Actor, we've got Jim Broadbent for The Weeknd. Steve Coogan for Philomena. Tom Hardy for Loke or Locke, I'm not sure. Um, isn't that the one where he's like a Geordie or something like that? I've, I know he does a bad accent in a film, and I think that's one he's been nominated for. James McAvoy for Filth. I really, really hope he gets that one. Um, supporting Actress... Imogen Poots in The Look of Love, who played... She was really good. She was fantastic. Really big fan of Imogen Poots. Um, Shirley Henderson was also great in Filth as well. And supporting actor, Jeff Goldblum in The Weeknd. Just seeing mm. Jeff Goldblum's name always makes me smile. Eddie Marsden, who was great in Filth. And again, two people from Startup. I need to investigate Startup. So, um, also, good to see Best Achievement in Production. Uh, Field in England. Uh, obviously nominated for being a very unique production and filth i'm assuming its achievement being in the fact that it got made and released in the first place because that's still a, just such a messed up film um well, but yeah documentary be... there's two that i've seen best documentary yeah. yeah i know i saw that steve the great hip-hop hoax I've seen, I've seen two in best documentary but you never thought i'd say that 
I never ever thought you'd say. What's the other one you've uh, seen? Stone is made of stone. Is that good? Oh, yeah, it's quite good. Yeah. Is that the Shane Meadows one? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, I've not seen that. Oh, right. I've seen them. Um, well, I've seen them twice since they come back. So obviously too young to see them when they were originally. It's the so yeah, that's the Biffers. They'll be in December, and when the awards are there, we'll probably talk about the awards as well. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Still surprised I've seen two of the two of the five I know. best doc- might have to uh, might have to co-opt you onto our end of end of year um, documentary panel in that case, Steve. Um, I, what the other Pussy writes obviously about that Russian band, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, I don't know what the other two would be about. Um, oh, I just. Um, moved off the page. The other two, just so people know, are um, the Moo Man. Don't know that one, and the Spirit of Forty Five, which was the Ken Loach film, um, which me and Jerry both enjoyed actually, uh, about the labour movement at the end of the Second World War, which created the National Health Service. So yeah, yes, that's interesting. Interesting. The Moo Man. Two documentaries. The Moo Man is the story of an unconventional farmer with a remarkable relationship to his animals, and and that just oi oi. <laughs> I bet there's, there's a lot of farmers with a with a remarkable relationship. There are. <laughs> you wouldn't really want to make a documentary about it. Oh, Steve, you've got the accent for it. You, I, I got rid of my country accent. You, you, you're still holding on to it a little bit there. Well, <laughs> thanks. When I've had a drink, it comes. Oh, I'm such a wurzel. Anyway, let's move on. Yes, let's have a break. Um, <laughs> me, and, me and James will sing some wurzel songs to Owen, and then we'll come back oh. with what we've been watching. What we've been watching then? A little review of the films that we've all watched over the last week or so. And James, as you won the quiz, you can start us off. Okay, yeah, this week I've I've struggled to watch many films this week. Um, apart from the films I've been ordered to watch, basically by myself, uh, but on behalf of the podcast. So, um, I, I've started rewatching The West Wing, which is oh, just as absolutely brilliant as it ever was. Um, but the film I watched this this week uh, that I actually sat down and watched with my daughter in its entirety. For the first time in a little while as well is Walt Disney's 1964 film Mary Poppins. Mary Poppins, as uh, old Aussie Cockney Dick Van Dyke uh, may put it. Um, I thought it was quite apt because I'm I'm actually looking forward to Saving Mr. Banks, which is the new Tom Hanks and Emma Thompson film about the true life story around how Walt Disney was determined to get this film made. But P.L. Travers, the English author, well, I think... English, I think she was Australian by birth, but you know, a very English character, um, was determined not to let him make the film, and their kind of personality battles over that, and uh, a kind of England meets US rivalry and things like that. So I thought it's a good time to watch this. I'll get my daughter watching it, and it, she really enjoyed it. Um, she's been running up and down the house singing "Let's Go Fly Kite" every day since. That's her review. She loves it. Um, it's an odd one, actually, Mary Poppins, because I know some people will dismiss it. I'm pretty sure some people that I'm talking to this moment may dismiss it. I will see afterwards. Out of interest, have you both have you both seen it at some point in your life? I imagine I have. I can't remember. Right. I can't remember seeing it. Okay. Um, yes, of course. Yeah. 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 Okay. Interesting. It's um Disney's most uh Oscar. Uh, it's won the most Oscars. Um 
for Disney any of any Disney film uh, in history, including Julie Andrews for Best Actress, uh, which in 1965, which is an interesting one. Um, yeah, those of you, I don't know anyone who doesn't know the story of Mary Poppins. Basically, it's set in Edwardian England, a uh, family advertised for a new nanny because they've got two troublesome kids, and this magical nanny appears when the wind blows from the east, and in her stern but fair way, uh, turns the children around. But most importantly, and this kind of comes from the title of the new Disney film, Saving Mr. Banks, um, brings the family back together from a father who's obsessed by work and ignoring his kids and things like that. What I would say, I, I, when I put it on, I was shocked at how long it was. For it's two hours twenty minutes, which is quite quite a film for a family, uh, yeah, a nice fun family film. That's that's quite a commitment. Um, but yeah, I, I just want to talk about a few of the things that rewatching it, I think, actually really hold up because it's a film that is um, nearly fifty years old. It's fifty years old next year, and. Firstly, Julie Andrews as Mary Poppins is stunning. She is brilliant in this. Um, and, and I think at, at times we may have, we may underestimate the performance of Julie Andrews in this film. I'm watching it, looking at it, she is working on so many different levels. And it is not just this sweet Disney character at all. It's actually quite a... There's, there's a few rough edges to her. And it's really nice to see the rough edges kind of fleshed out by this brilliant actress who not only can sing and dance, but actually portrays this character brilliantly. Um, and, yeah, these small little touches. The fact that you know, at one point... Um, they're all drinking medicine and it's this magic medicine which is exactly the flavour you would want it to be. Her flavour is rum punch. Oh, you little old Alky <laughs> Mary Poppins. Oh, that's, that's pretty awesome. Um, there's this weird relationship between her and the chimney sweep played by Dick Van Dyke. Uh, Bert. Um, it, the fact that towards the end she she is she has to go into families and then she has to leave families and it's actually quite sad in places as well um david tomlinson as george banks is absolutely brilliant as well um i was just really surprised by how many issues it tried to take on talking about um the suffragette movement we're looking at family breakdown there is this sense of um evil bankers back even back in the night this is the mid 1960s george banks works for a bank of evil bankers I th- loads of this actually just feels really quite relevant today um the songs are as you know, the songs are fantastic there's a few uh, off key songs for me but most of the songs really good show tunes um and, and the film stands the test. I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing it again with my daughter as she grows up. Um, and, and I'm just genuinely... I, I've had a little bit of... Um, I've had my faith restored in humankind a little bit this week by watching Mary Poppins. It, it put a smile on my face. And um, you've got to be in the mood for it. It's a Disney film. It's a musical. There's a lot of singing and dancing. There is some really... Uh, still watching the kind of animate the mixed live action animation sequences which at their time were absolutely revolutionary still look genuinely very good today uh, you know not they don't look like avatar or something like that but they they genuinely don't detract from the film. don't sit there and go oh god that looks terrible actually it all looks really really good so 
it's a great fun film. And I'm, this is just my reminder this week to say, do you know what? Some films from the old times, they were pretty good, weren't they? Hey, Mary Poppins, oi! Yeah, so that's that's me on Mary Poppins. I missed out on seeing a preview of Saving Mr. Banks, but apparently most of the reviews that I... Well, I've not read reviews, so I just sort of mm. checked on the Twitter to see what, what the sort yeah. of feedback was. seems quite positive. A lot of people saying it's yeah. actually a good film. So, I was I think thinking... it might be the... Disney version of Hitchcock, basically. That's yeah. that's what I'm, I'm. I'm expecting some kind of slightly sugar-coated um, story about Hollywood at that time, which I always find really interesting. It, it looked quite so. good from the, the trailer. Mm. It's got it's got a good cast in it as well. Not just you know the the lower cast. You've got Bradley Whitford who was in Cabin in the Woods and brilliant in the West Wing. B.J. Novak from um, the office. Uh, B.J. Novak and Jason Schwartzman playing the uh, Sherman Brothers, mm. who were the songwriters for it. Uh, no, I think it, I think it will be uh, I think it will be a decent film. I, I'm looking forward to seeing it anyway. Okay, Owen, what have you watched this week? Um, I, well, I'm going to just put it out there to say I've watched it, but it's been talked about quite a bit on the, in the past, so we don't really need to have a conversation about it, but I watched a more on Monday. Mm. Yeah. That, I'm happy to have a quick chat, though. Okay. Well, I, I'm not quite sure. It's one that had the same problem when I watched um, Hidden, watched Cache yeah. by Hanukkah. Okay, yeah. Where I'm not quite sure what I thought of it because it's that film is just so it it seems like it's quite personal but at the same time it makes you feel like you're just someone peering through their windows to watch what's happening to these oh you feel very voyeuristic you do yeah yeah. and it was really interesting the the way that was done as regards to how much I enjoyed it it's hard to say it's not an enjoyable film it's not (laughs) one you can say is entertaining how long ago did you watch out of interest on Monday Okay, so oh, so yesterday. Uh, it was yesterday to us. Yeah. 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 Okay. Right. So, yeah. No, I think it took me a day or two, definitely to settle a little bit, and then I thought it was a workout. Gonna, uh, gonna but when I walked out, I felt sick. When I walked out of the cinema, I just felt horrible. Yeah. I just, I just oh, why the hell did I just put myself <laughs> through that? But it kind of like just ferments and it, it washes over yeah. you a little bit. I'd be interested to speak to you in a week about that okay i mean i think i said on twitter at the time that i'm never going to be in the mood to watch it but i know that it's such a you know everyone says it's Mm. such a good film so i just i'm just going to get it over with and i just thought right i'm going to watch it in bed i'm going to stay up late watch this film um and yeah (laughs) it it does have an effect on you let's put it that way yeah yeah but anyway the film that i actually wanted to do a review of um is something called ginger and rosa which is a sort of British independent film mm-hmm. um, from last year, I think. Uh, but anyway, yeah, it's directed by a female British director, and I, I do still think it's important to point out, you know, when it's a female director, because I'm not I know, it's a bit them. sad that we have to, but yeah, yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, so it's a female British director called Sally Potter. Um, I've not seen anything else she's done. I think she just sticks to kind of like indie films and things like that. But um, anyway, the film itself uh, stars Alice Englert, uh, of Beautiful Creatures fame um, as Rosa. She's the friend of the main character, which is Ginger, who's played by Ellie Fanning, who, uh, although still quite young, does seem to have quite a huge credits list mm. on IMDb, uh, including, probably most notably for me, is the voice of May in the English dubbing of My Neighbour Tony. Yes, it's the Fanning sisters, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah that's right. So, um, yeah, anyway... It, it, 
basic plot is it's both Ginger and Rose are uh, mid-team friends. They're, it's the film set in 1960s London. They're both inseparable. Okay, starts out with the closest, the bestest friends uh, ever. Then they, they they go through discovering boys at the same time, which just brings them closer. Um, they both get involved in politics from an early age. They both sort of protest in the Cuban Missile Crisis and stuff like that. Then, I mean, suppose the only difference between the two characters, other than their hair colour, I guess, uh, is the fact that Rosa's dad left when she was very young, whereas Ginger's parents are still together. And it seems quite sort of a trivial point, but it becomes quite integral to the way that both characters right. grow through the film. Okay, so whilst watching it, I, I really wanted to like it, uh, but I couldn't shake this idea that just popped into my mind whilst I was watching it. And I thought, this is the exact sort of film Jerry would have hated. And I couldn't shake that opinion <laughs> for the rest of the movie. He uh, haunts us. He does, even now. But, uh, when, okay, when I say it's a middle-class film, that doesn't even come close to covering just how middle-class it is. <laughs> okay? I don't think that's inherently a criticism of any kind of film, to, to, mm. to, to, to decide arbitrarily that this is what middle-class is. But stuff happens in it that's just... I mean... Ginger doesn't call her mom mom or her dad dad. She refers to them by their first names, which really kind of grates on me. Yeah. Uh, all of her parents' friends are just so... I don't... Okay, I don't class myself as a woolly liberal, although I am much more left-leaning than anything else. But the characters in this are the kind of people who spend their whole time commenting on every Guardian news column on the website. That right. sort of class of people this film uh, is about. Okay. Oh God! So, Swapping recipes for quinoa. <laughs> yeah, like that. exactly. That's it. Yeah. So gotcha. um, you know exactly what I mean. Yeah. So first of all, yes, the characters are incredibly annoying. All of them. Everything from the way they yeah. talk and talk about things to just the decisions they make, just the the, the actions of complete and utter twats. Um, but the, the important things, I guess, for the film is the, the themes that it tries to develop. So it makes you think that, OK, it's set around things like um, the, the girls do a lot of protesting, turning up to demonstrations and stuff. So you get the idea that it's about the impending threat uh, of nuclear war. But it's kind of a heavy handed analogy, really, to, to the fact that it's actually about the girls growing up and coming of age and the sort of impending threat that losing your adolescence comes with uh, and becoming adults and what that means and how that will change their lives forever. Um, and it's just... I, I want to say it was done well, but like I say, it's just so in your face through the whole film. It, it, it's one of these that reinforces the idea that in case you've not quite got it yet towards the end, it has to sort of say what the rest of the film was really about, you know. So mm. there is a sense of impending doom, but I don't think it's actually related to the threat of bombs dropping all over London. It's more to do with, you know, losing your innocence or maybe um, growing out of your, you know, childhood friends or your the way you used to think about things. All that kind of thing is what it's actually about. Um, mm. And it's all it, it's really a dry film. There is a little bit of humour to start with, and occasionally. It does have one or two jokes in it, 
but it's not so much that they're there to try and lighten the atmosphere. That's just to give you an idea about how certain characters behave in their right. reactions to things. So it's it could have done with a lot more humour in general, I think, um, just to make you care about the characters a little bit more, just to give it a bit of warmth, I guess. Um, yeah, but I, I did think Ellie Fanning was actually pretty good. Um, she's, a, she, I think she's quite a good actress. I'm sure she will actually go on to be quite a big star. Um, because uh, the best compliment I can think of really to, to pay the film is that it, it picked a really good actress to play its main character, Ginger. She's, um, mm. she's, yeah. She, I mean, it's really interesting performance. She is quite a complex character, I guess, for a teenager, uh, anyway. But she, she plays it really well, and it'd be interesting to see how her career develops and how she grows because um, the film itself is an okay period drama, perhaps nothing more than that really. But it, yeah, she, she was she was quite good in it. So if it's worth watching, it's worth watching to see uh, Ellie Fanning. Okay. Yeah. But that's really my opinion of it, really. It's just a bit... It's a, it's a shame that it wasn't better than it was. And I'm, I'm going to shake my fist in Jerry's direction, because I think he's... <laughs> he's, yeah, he's going he tainted to haunted, it for you. Yeah, yeah. My, um my viewing experience. Uh, okay, so to round <laughs> off what we've been watching, I watched a foreign film. Not only a foreign film, I watched a... Uh, a foreign film that was nominated for Best Foreign Language Oscar. Um, so it was Contiki, which is directed by Joachim Ronig and Espen Sandberg. It's about, based on a true story uh, from 1947 of Thor, not not superhero Thor, uh, Thor Heyerdahl. <laughs> um, I believe that's not how his surname is pronounced. Um, he, he was... Um, some kind of, I'm not sure if he was a doctor or a scientist, or he was, um, anyway, the, the common theory at the time was in Polynesia, it had been settled from the West, it had been settled from Asia, but he had a theory that, you know, pre-Columbian time, pre-Christopher Columbus, Polynesia was settled from South America. Um, I think he based this on the fact that he found various plants and things like that that were native to only South America, found in various Polynesian islands. Uh, and everyone said, no, you're an idiot. It's not, how can, it's not possible. It's not possible. So he basically um, built this raft, took five mates on it to, to sail across the ocean to prove it was possible. Uh, right. Because but, you know, was all, there was all these kind of um, ancient Polynesian tales as well that that's how it happened. They came from the east and everything. So he said, right, I'm going to prove it. I'm going to build a raft and we're going we're gonna to do it. As the voyage was then, the only the only modern equipment we're going to have is a radio, so we can contact some. You know, if, if we get in the, into trouble, we'll be able to contact someone. Um, I actually thought it would be subtitled or dubbed, but it wasn't. It was actually in in English. Um, not that, that matters. It looks amazing. Interesting, that it got nominated for best bloody foreign language film. Well, the, version was, the version I saw was definitely not dubbed. Okay. And it was, oh, that's interesting. It was in English. So I don't know what happened there. If I were, hmm. uh, although we had that chat last week about um, I've just, I've just, Werner Herzog filmed alternative yeah, filmed just, one film in German and it was it was filmed shot simultaneously in both Norwegian and English. Oh, how weird! That's interesting. Yeah, oh. uh, I obviously saw the English language. Was this on Netflix? It was on Netflix. 
U-S. Oh, it's pretty new on there, because I've been looking for it yeah. a while and couldn't find it. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, it looks, for a start, brilliant. Um, you know, it, look, it looks pretty big budget for what is a, a Norwegian film, and I'm sure Norwegian cinema doesn't have the biggest budgets for effects and everything. But, you know, there's whales and sharks and all kind of things, and they're out on the ocean. It, it just looks fantastic. Um, and also, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting story, obviously a true story, um, and something that I'm in, you know, that kind of true story, that kind of historical thing I'm interested in. Mm. So that that was the performances, but half of them were good and half of them were a bit, you know, <laughs> crap, yeah. basically. Some of the yeah. actors were really good, and you know, you really got into the characters and. Kind of the others you, some of the others you kind of felt were just kind of in the background, didn't really do a lot, and you didn't really find out much about them or care much about them. Uh, interestingly enough as well, rather than kind of film a lot of it on a studio, they actually made a raft and filmed it on the open ocean. Really? Right, okay. Which, God. which is quite right. impressive. And, yeah. And they said that it, you know, made the, made, it strengthened the film because obviously they're on the, on the ocean rather than in the studio in, in relative safety. Yeah, it's like an extreme version of method acting, isn't it? They're actually yeah. going to put you on a raft in the sea. It sounds very much like Werner Herzog. <laughs> 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 I, I did there were, as in probably every film based on a true story, there were, there were a few little changes to make it you know more exciting or more cinematic. Um, they kind of changed the way they got some of the equipment. Um, they changed the fact there's a, there's a parrot on the ship in the film. It's eaten by a shark in, in real life. It just got washed overboard. Um, and, you know, some of the weather they exaggerated or changed a bit to make it, you know, a bit more dramatic. But generally it's like pretty much the true story of, of what happened. Wow. Um, but but, de- definitely worth a watch. I've now seen okay. I've now seen two Norwegian films, Kontiki and The Troll Hunter, and they've yeah. been excellent. So um, okay, Steve, when we started doing this about eighteen months ago, would you have thought you would have been watching Norwegian films about rafting across the world? Yeah, because that because that kind of thing. Oh, interesting. I, <laughs> I thought I thought we I thought maybe we had something to do with no. your cinematic journey or no, something I, like that. I, Obviously, I would have watched this anyway. Okay. okay, Steve. Eighteen months ago, would you have watched a film like Holy Motors? I, if I had a choice, I wouldn't watch it now. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I think I was was I forced into watching that. No, no, you chose to watch it. I didn't force you to do it. It came up on Netflix, I think, and I'd raved about it, and so you gave it a go. It was. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's still one of my favourite reviews ever. <laughs> I think you said you were going to, and I said I was. I had to hear your review of it. I think that's why you did it. You did it in the interests of serious film journalism, Steve, and I, I salute you. I can't even remember what I said about it. But it, was, it was pretentious wank. <laughs> I think that's pretty yeah, much what you celebrate. Surmised into two words, yeah. Anyway, yeah, Contiki, brilliant, brilliant film. Um, really worth a watch. Looks fantastic, etc., uh, etc. Et uh, so that's, that's it for what we've been watching. Up next, we will be arguing about the new release, Gravity.
So this week, we are only reviewing one new release, but it is a big one. It is Gravity. Uh, directed, uh, edited, produced, written, everything by Alfonso Cuaron. Is that how you spell it? say his name, James? In the absence of Jerry, um, I'm going to say, yeah, Cuaron. There's a funny little thing above the O that probably means <laughs> So, uh, and it stars Sandra Bullock and George Clooney as a couple of astronauts. Here's a clip. Explorer, this is Houston. Go ahead, Houston. Mission abort. Repeat. Mission abort. Explorer, this is Kowalski confirming visual contact with debris. Debris is from a BSE stand. Repeat. I have a Dr. Stone requesting faster transport. We have to go. We have to go, go, go. Kennedy reports meteorological conditions. Go, go. Explorer, copy. Explorer, Dr. Stone requesting faster transport to Bay Area. Explorer, do you copy? Explorer, permission to retrieve Dr. Stone. Here goes one. Houston, Explorer. Okay, so that was a clip from Gravity. Um, <clears throat> where do we start, really? I mean, this is start. What do we all think of it? I think that's the best place to start because that's where most of the controversy is going to come from. Let's, let's just check first. Did we all watch it in 3D on the biggest screen we could possibly find? Yes, not not IMAX, but in 3D. Yeah. Uh, I didn't really care about screen size. I just went for um, 3D. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I heard you should see it on the biggest one. Luckily, the guy in front of me went... Which is your biggest screen? Like some geeky guy, it was amazing. And she went, "Oh, it's the one that's on like in five minutes." And I was like, "Brilliant! I don't even, I don't have to ask the geeky <laughs> question. I just yeah. get the benefit of this guy." Um, right. So we all saw that, which is interesting because none of us are massive fans of 3D, but we've definitely all but at least the, fallen the, for the height. The thing is, though, if if a film, there's very few films that are meant to be have, have been released that are meant yeah. to be seen in 3D. But the ones yeah. that have actually been made for 3D rather than retrofitted generally work. I mean, Avatar, obviously the first major 3D, mm. did look brilliant in 3D. And, and yeah. if a film, if a film yeah. tends to be made for 3D, the 3D works. If a film isn't made for 3D, it looks rubbish. Although there, there's the, even the films that are made for 3D, there's still a, an issue with um, the loss of brightness. Um, which can really hurt some films. Like I thought Hugo at times looked fantastic and at other times just looked really drab because you're wearing basically sunglasses in mm. a cinema. They've got to find a way of doing 3D about you wearing glasses. Yeah, that's because yeah, that's the other thing. I wear glasses already. What they put in the lenses, like, couldn't they just put like a big sheet of that in front of the screen? Wouldn't that work? <laughs> I'm not quite sure that's how it works. Why <laughs> Steve? I've referred to as our Carl, P- Carl Pilkington before, and that, that's <laughs> one of those moments. Why, I want to know why that would not work. Uh, it's about where your eyes are. Um, I doubt I understand the answer, but... Yeah, no, it, it, it's, about, it's about your own perspective, each person's perspective. It needs to be well, just in front of... Couldn't you put that, like, in there. front of every row, then? <laughs> well, that wouldn't, that wouldn't really eliminate the problem, though. You would just have a bigger version of your... Yeah, I wouldn't have to, I wouldn't have to they wear just a I well, wouldn't wear a pair of glasses, though, because they're a bit irritating, especially if you don't wear them normally. No, I, I agree with you on the glasses. Um, what I will just say about about the loss of light is I think that's less of an issue with this film because you're in space, and space is pretty bloody dark anyway. So, And it's it's not a colourful film. And, you know, Hugo was very colourful at times. Turn of the century Paris and everything like that. Whereas this film is quite a stark film. Although uh, colour is quite important in this 
It is important. No, no, you're right. No, um, uh, it is important. Uh, what, what I just mean is, it's not a bright, colourful film. That's yeah. that's all kind of meant. Um, right. So that's the three D yeah. bit done with. Okay. Right. Let's do, very, very quickly then. I loved it, Steve. Uh, I, I loved parts of it, certain aspects of it. Other aspects of it were were just a bit dull and predictable. Owen. Uh, yeah, it was alright. Between it was, I was. I'm not the biggest fan of Quran or however you pronounce his name. Anyway, I'm not his biggest fan after watching Children of Men, and I know that's kind of sacrilegious to some people who absolutely adore it. Children, and Children of Men, I, I really enjoyed. Very good film. Not you know great by any means. But fair, Let's uh, get that uh, argument going as well. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> but but. So, I, I mean, I wasn't the most optimistic person in the world going into Gravity, despite hearing lots of good things about it. In fact, mm-hmm. from um, Carol, is it Carol? I yes, yes, Carol Pets. Sorry, Carol, yeah, if you're listening. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, who um, reviewed it for us, who gave it a, a really glowing report, and that's what yeah. got me excited about it in the end. Yeah. Um, so, um I was I mean, I don't know whether it's to do with sort of expectation levels, because I had them already low, and then they were raised to quite high, and it sort of fell between what I expected okay. and what I hoped, if you know what I, I mean. I, I've had that with films. So I th- we can all agree, and I think we can all agree it's a visually stunning film. Can we agree on that one to yeah, start? I, I, Let's get the things we agree on first. If anyone would argue that it is visually one of the best films you'll probably see full stop, and it's one you've got to see in a cinema. Yeah. I cannot imagine this film having the same impact on your home television. No. All those people who are going to sort of download it and watch it on laptop yeah. screens and stuff, they're just not yeah. going to get it. No. What, it's, it's pointless. It will, yeah. Look, yeah. it will look absolutely shit on your 12-inch Toshiba. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Um, and, and I think it is really interesting. Um, it's a... It is a bit. There's been a lot of talk about it being a game changer for Hollywood, uh, and I do think there has been. There's been a huge amount of innovation with this. Um, yeah, the camera swoops around. Uh, there's some incredible movements. Um, some brilliant direction in that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, also, do yeah. Special effects are great as well. Yeah, you genuinely feel like you are on the edge of the world which is yeah that works really well uh, and as we've already said the 3d i think works brilliantly uh at times in there sometimes i did take off my glasses i always do that i sit there going right is there going to be any difference take off my glasses and there's not much going on so there's not a lot of difference and that kind of annoys me um but generally i, th- I thought all of that worked really well the sound stage you know a lot of people have talked about the visuals of it rightfully so but i think the sound design of the film was fantastic as well because it gives you that little clue about what the, the path they're going to take right at the beginning that little title comes up saying yeah. basically you can't hear anything in space yeah. and it's such a gr- oh, it's so nice to see shit going down in space and there being no real sound to go with it apart from a score mm. um and it, the score drives a lot of the action rather than bang, bang, huge explosions and things like that, which is a good thing. Yes, I agree. I thought it was done It was done really well, particularly sort of the lack of sound at times is what made it quite um, as dramatic as some mm-hmm. of the scenes were. Because, you, knew, you know, if that was any other setting, explosions going on around certain characters, 
if you know if it was a war film <laughs> that would add yeah. tension because you've got the character sort of panicking and fleeing in this it's yeah. so tense because they're at times perhaps unaware of what might be happening yeah. around them so it's, yeah. it just adds to the sort of tension um, yeah but okay I, yep. I don't think there was any tension for, for right okay this is where we're going to have an argument for the majority of the film anyway I mean don't know how much you can really I was on the edge of my seat really, for at least half of it I don't really it. know how much you can say without spoiling the film but basically I think if for, for a film titled Gravity there wasn't really a lot of suspense um, hey. <laughs> pre-planned that one um, <laughs> but but without can't really say what without giving too much away if people haven't seen it but there's a certain point in the film where for me everything became not so much predictable but there was there was a lack of suspense like I just said or, or danger or risk do you, do you know what I think we're going to have to have a conversation off air because I think we might have I, I, there was a certain point in the film where I was just starting to lose faith with it and then it it got me again and I think weirdly I think we might even be talking about the same point of the film uh, which for me was the making of you was the breaking of the film I think that's really interesting yeah um, I think I what, know which point we refer to. Yeah, and, and yeah, I, I, what what we have to say to the listeners is because it, it is a simple story, um, and you know, and I'm assuming if you're listening to the review, you've at least seen the trailer, um, which is yes, yeah, so, you know, basically it's two astronauts stranded in space. How the hell are they going to get out of this? That's pretty much what the film is. There's there's no huge. There's no conspiracy. There's no, oh, maybe something went wrong. It's just shit happens and ordinary, in inverted commas, people have got to deal with it. Um, and without, uh, that's about all we can say about the plot and it happens in space. You know. Yeah. Um, I think, I just want to make a point as well. Yeah. I, it has been quite a common criticism of gravity to say that mm-hmm. the plot has let it down or the story was mm-hmm. really crap. I don't think the story was particularly poor. I just found that the story was as good as it could be with the restrictions placed on a film like that. I don't think they could have really done anything... Um, well, I'm not going to say they couldn't have done it better. Of course they could do it better. Most things could be done better. I just think it was done as well as you could expect it to I, be done. I, I just think there's certain things they could have done which maybe would have changed the tone of the film a bit, but would have would have kept an element of suspense in there, would have kept an element of you don't know what's going to happen in there. To go, maybe, may, do you know what? Maybe I'm dumb. Okay, maybe I'm dumb and naive. I, I didn't, I was at, nev, at no point was I ever more than 60% sure of what I, I thought I, I might I happen. I didn't know exactly what was going to happen. It's not like mm. a film where there was a no. twist coming up and I called the twist before it happened, but... I, I, from quite, from you know, there was a, from a certain point in the film, I knew what the end game would be. Right. At the same time, I don't necessarily think that in itself is a, a bad thing. In ever, I, 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 for me, the film was about a character's journey more than more than plot and more than narrative. Um, and I, I went with it more than some people did. Obviously. Um, I personally thought it was a fantastic performance from Sandra Bullock. I thought, 
she had a huge job to do here. Um, she is uh, this kind of new person. Yeah, uh, she is on her first space mission. George Clooney's on his final space mission. He's the experienced old hand. Um, Sandra Bullock is essentially our proxy up there. She's having to be the audience in that situation. She doesn't know what she should be doing uh, in the same way that we wouldn't. And I, I honestly think this is the best I've ever seen her. I know you haven't seen her a lot, Steve. Well, no, I've, I think I've seen her in Speed, Speed Two, and now Gravity. And was it the Blind Side, the one where she yeah adopts yeah Bruce, adopted the, Bruce, uh, Bruce, uh, football player? Adopts the, yeah, which I thought was really good actually. In Speed, mm, yeah. Speed Two, it just you know. Did she win an Oscar for that? I think she won an Oscar for Blind Side. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah, I'm pretty sure she's not going. She's currently the highest paid actress in Hollywood as well at the moment. She's having this bit of a kind of she went off the radar for a bit, but she's having a bit of a career, uh, not a swan song, bit of an Indian summer or something like that. Um, I I genuinely Clooney. What I will say is Clooney is basically playing George Clooney, the astronaut. Um, yeah, he, he's playing him. Actually, but I've got no. I personally have no problem with that because that's it. It was a little bit. Annoying, it's his though. character. I mean, he was just like, you know, um, like you say, he was George Clooney, but he was basically George Jetson, pootling around space, muttering about how good looking he is. That's pretty. I mean, <laughs> but basically, <laughs> that's a great description. But I liked it and I bought into it. That I think that for me was the key. But he didn't seem to have any other job other than like doing a doing a spacewalk. Yeah, that kind of stuff happens. But like, but like, it just—he was testing. I out think it's just because he was the last one there, and it was just they were letting him fart about, weren't they? But like, yeah. if I if if anyone else was an astronaut that good looking with that many good stories and was test that testing out a jetpack, you'd be as arrogant as that as well. Yeah, that's true. I, I mean, I if I looked as good as he did and I had his money and everything, I probably would be as arrogant and <laughs> it's undeniable. But I'm not, so I'm going to moan about it. <laughs> I'd be having so much fun. That's exactly how I'd act. He acted exactly <laughs> how anyone else in his situation would act. And that's fine. Yeah. The other, I will say, the other big criticism I've seen... Uh, aimed at the film it's not just around the plot but the script yes um, that was my uh, biggest issue that was your biggest and again I I, ha- I knew maybe I was you know pre-warned is pre-armed and everything like that I, because I was aware of that issue I went in looking for bad moments and there was probably one clunky line for me um, about there goes half of America's Facebook or something like that uh, which just didn't sit right with me but the rest of it again Again, it, maybe it was because I was thinking, well, I'm not here for the script. I'm not here for huge pondering... Li- I, I, the script just didn't feel bad to me. Um, it was. It I didn't mean, feel amazing. It didn't feel award-winning script. But again, uh, part of me was thinking, well, that's not the point of this film. It was very but, cheesy, though. I mean, come on, some of the dialogue in it was just... It yeah. has been referred to as like a glorified Hallmark drama. Someone on it, the Football 365 forum said that Biffa Spice... I think that is spot on because the, the the dialogue was very clunky at times. It didn't really work for me between Clooney and Bullock. I think Bullock was very good in it, um, but she did the best she could with some really quite bad dialogue. Um, I'm not I'm not again going to give any spoilers away, but there is mm. one scene which I think we were alluding to earlier, which mm. was just 
ridiculous to the point I nearly laughed. And I think that took away a lot from the film for me. And as soon as I felt like this is a bit stupid, that's when I started to think, to, to reassess what I'd just seen before that. Interesting. Yeah. Because, again, if we are talking about... and we, This will be really annoying the listeners, and I'm very sorry, uh, but we will have this chat afterwards. If we are talking about the same kind of point of the film, that, for me, was the moment where I started to see uh, not someone... Uh, that, uh, that, for me, was an, an actress opening herself up to potential ridicule, but at the same time going where she felt the character needed to go and I, I, that's why it worked for me but do you know what I would compare that scene to I'm not again not giving yeah. anything away I'm just saying yeah. What, yeah. The, the sort of that level of performance rather than mm-hmm. what the character is actually going through or saying or doing that level of performance is like Anne Hathaway in um, Les Miserables last year that's mm. th- that's what it was reminding me of yeah but I thought <laughs> she she did that same sort of thing mm. but a lot better whereas okay. in that particular scene I just felt, I don't know, it, it lost itself a little bit. It got kind of muddled, and again, the clunky dialogue came back into it. Um, and another, I mean, another problem I had with the script, not so much just talking about the dialogue, but mm. it is, again, it goes back to this point about them being restricted to what they can work with. Mm. But yeah. the only things that sort of develop the characters, the only thing that helps them... Um, to, to change throughout the, the whole film is when they say stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. The, the only background you get is when they tell you stuff. They're only changing as people when they announce that things have changed about mm-hmm. them. And I think, again, this is what makes it quite clunky and what let mm-hmm. the film down, really, is that it... I, 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 no, I, I can understand those critics, but like I said, I, there's no other way they could have done it. I, I so I kind of... So I let it go. I think, well... Unless you start having flashbacks or narration, the only way they're going to have any exposition yeah. about themselves as characters is in conversation with another character. Which is why I think it's um, fine they did as good a job as they could do. Okay. I just think, and personally... You've got an issue with the, the format and the structure, and that's yeah. fine, because that comes back to when we've had arguments over found footage and things like that. Mm. And, you know, it, it's about form and structure and yeah. some and, and musicals and things like you know, Some forms and structures work for some people, some don't. I, yeah, personally, I, I quite liked it. I quite like... Um, these ideas of limited story techniques not as good as but it, I think the the films it reminded me most of um, well it's not as good as one of them and I think it's better than the other one personally um, one is Moon uh, which again is basically you know very tiny cast in space with you know not too much going on but very intelligent sci-fi the other one is Castaway where mm. again you've you, you know, you basically got that's just Tom Hanks, isn't it? Um, and that only really kind of you, you don't get too much storyline and character and things like that. It's just that's one man's survival against the elements and things like that. So I preferred it in Castaway, though. I think with Castaway, he okay. is on a journey in that, that film. Right. The, the stuff that's happening to him ha- happens over a long time, and his character does change, <laughs> and things you know about him, um. He keeps redefining himself as, as that character in, in Castaway, which he, I've forgotten the name of his character, but anyway. Yeah. Um, but in this, I think, because, because it's over a short period of time, it's literally yeah. over just like a few hours, isn't it? Yeah. So, I mean, that, again, I appreciate that, you know, they're really confined and constricted by 
the setting and the yeah. time. Would and you that, would you have preferred that it was literally just a fight for survival and then you didn't find out anything about them as? I'm interested. In it. Um, would you would you have literally preferred it was just this person? You don't really know much about them. You just know that every human, you know, every every human being wants to survive. Uh, if that was their entire motivation, would you have been happier with it's that? It's hard to say, isn't it? Because you don't really know what the script would be in the, in the hypothetical situation like that. No, I mean, no, it, true. It's, it's like saying, would I prefer 2001 Space Odyssey if there was more talking in it? Um, well, I don't know. It depends who wrote the script, yeah. No, I, I can see your point. No, I can see your point. Well, I will, I, I'm just going to put this out there as well. Tear to my eye. Tear to my eye, this film bought, and that's... There you go. That's two of my thumbs up there. It... it made me just cry a little bit. Uh, none for me. Although I did think that the ending You're, was You've quite... got a heart of stone. I didn't you cry at Amor either. I was just yeah. left kind of like... Actually, no, I, I don't think I cried at Amor. I think I was just... I think I just wanted to kill myself. Yeah. yeah. But, um, <laughs> I, did, I felt a little bit perverse in that. I felt like, like yeah. I said, I was staring at someone else's story. Yeah. But anyway, but with, with this, no. But I did think the um, ending was the strongest aspect of the whole film, aside from... It came together. Yeah, the the beginning and the end are the two strongest yeah. bits of the film. So I'd agree with that. Uh, what do we What do we think about some of the kind of scientific inaccuracies that they were in the film? I mean, can't really say too much again on part of it, but there's there's some bits in that that apparently couldn't have happened or shouldn't have happened or wouldn't have happened. But you know, to act, to actually make a film happen, to actually make the story happen, that's fine by me. But it's something. If it's believable in the universe, it's, if it's believable while you're sat in the cinema, but then that's fine by me. Some things, when you sort of read back on it, you just think it's a bit lazy. Like, you know, uh, her hair should have floated freely in zero gravity. She wasn't wearing certain parts, garments, socks. You know, that that they would have worn under their light suit, and that that kind of thing. It's just like why. It doesn't, annoy, it doesn't annoy you until you find out. You think, why are you that lazy? Why are you that not specific to detail? Well, I, mean, I don't think that was laziness. I think they made a conscious decision because she's got good legs. I think the part <laughs> of it was at one point they wanted to go, see, look, Sandra Bullock's still really good looking, isn't she? Yeah. You know, there is a, there was a, that was, that was a real hint to 2001, wasn't it? Yes. There, there was a real star yeah. child <laughs> thing going on there. I thought so. Which also may well have been part of that decision-making process as well um and she did have short hair so obviously they they were making decisions to try and limit what they could physically do yeah they couldn't have her hair float up so they went let's cut her hair really short so it's not really noticeable um you know that that kind of thing whose responsibility is that in a film who i mean is that a job i think it depends on who's or is that i think it i think it depends on who's making it in Um, in i know in tv there's usually people um, my brother works in television in, in production. There's usually people who have to work around um, continuity and, and things like that. It, I mean, he tells me a story about when he was on his internship, yeah. he, he worked on EastEnders, and he got a script given to him. And he had to check through for, for facts and everything. And there was a, a Muslim character eating a bacon sandwich, and he said, "No, obviously that wouldn't happen." So, mm. right, yeah, you know, there are people who have to check for these kind of things. There were, there, I'm pretty sure this film had some scientific consultants oh, yeah. as yeah, well, definitely. and you know there would have been people from NASA and stuff. Ultimately, with a film like this, you've got to say it falls on Alfonso Cuarón because he's a he's an auteur. He you know he wrote it, he directed it, he produced it. Um, other films where the director's just one kind of cog in a machine probably 
different person's responsibility. Um, yeah, but I mean, you can imagine something like that being missed in a project like this. Oh yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't definitely. Think... Especially if you're focusing so much on one element of it, and, and they're and not like exactly going to go back and reshoot it all, are they? I mean, no, no. And I, her hair should be floating me, a bit more. Yeah, <laughs> for me, the important things were the ones that kind of felt real. Uh, like I say, the explosions not really sounding of anything that to me felt real um i like the fact that they used the hubble telescope for example you know they were using equipment and space stations and things like that which actually exist it felt like part of this universe even if there was an element of cinematic science fiction to it all yeah i think it's um I don't know whether it is that interesting to anybody else, but me personally, I don't really know exactly what a cinematographer is. As far as I'm concerned, their job is to make the picture look as pretty as possible and make yeah. sure that, you know, lighting and everything is, is fitted properly, you know. Yeah. The name comes from photographer, essentially. Yeah, It's about yeah. setting the scene. It's about setting the scene with the camera. Um, and so a few people I've seen reviewing uh, Gravity have said how brilliant the cinematography is in this. But mm-hmm. if, you, if you Google it, if you look up sort of cinematography in Gravity, there's a lot of controversy about it, actually. People are saying that cinematographers didn't actually have a lot to do in this, but they're getting all the credit. Because it's all CGI. Essentially, they just have to come in and say, well, the light should be coming from this angle and it doesn't quite match with what's happening in the background and that kind of thing. Trying to tell us, Owen, that Sandra Bullock and George Clooney weren't actually in space. (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying to say that there's there's some people... I don't know what the motivations are for it. Perhaps it's some people who are quite jealous of a modern... I've heard some people complain that cinematographers aren't doing their job when they use digital video either. Right. Yeah, and I think... so yeah, some people will only be happy if the cinematographer is using thirty-five mil film. Yeah, uh, I think. Um, yeah, the, I think the job is obviously changing, and it is becoming a lot more digital, and it's not as natural as it used to be on these big blockbusters. But still, if their job is to make the, the frame, is to set the scene, yeah. is to make the frame look good and be lit well, and you know, just have come up with amazing shots then that's what they did. And whether they did that in a studio or out in a field in England or in space, they're still doing... For me, they're still doing... From my amateur point of view, they're still doing the same thing. And I would happily tell people that I thought the cinematography in this was fantastic. In the same way, I also thought the CGI was fantastic as well. Mm. I'm going to give everyone credit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I say, I don't really understand what a cinematographer is. Every time I think I've worked it out, uh, someone else says it's something else completely different and I'm left confused again. But, um, okay, interesting. I thought it was worth mentioning, though, because it does seem to be quite a, um, a, oh, definitely, a contested yeah. topic at the minute about gravity. Yeah. I've only just noticed, looking at the IMDb page, that Ed Harris played the voice of Houston. Yeah. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah, I like Ed Harris. Yeah, yeah. yeah. obviously the same, same role he played in Apollo 13. Did did anyone stay for the post-credit scene? Couldn't be bothered with it, actually. (laughs) Did you watch it? What was it worth watching? I was just the head of the Statue of Liberty, just (laughs) rising up out of the sand. Lovely stuff. I, I think that's like a joke a that works better visually. Yeah, but. I thought it'd be a UFO with an alien just waving at the window. <laughs> of the a couple of monkeys on horseback riding by. 
Anyway, let's, <laughs> have, let's have a break before we recommend uh, for, for something to watch during the week. Okay, so James, do you want to recommend what are you recommending for people to watch? Okay, well, I've only just noticed that um, the Blu-ray of Mary Poppins, the 50th anniversary edition, is out next week. Um, that's that's one recommendation. But my main recommendation is on the film streaming site that I've recommended a few times, Mubi, M-U-B-I. Um, again, if you've not signed up, you get a month's free when you sign up. Um, one of these unique ones where they basically stream 30 films at a time. They add a new one each day and take one of them off each day. Uh, it's like having your best friend <laughs> who's really good at recommending films, constantly recommending films to you. And in the last two days, they've just added Fritz Lang's M, which, if you haven't seen, is just an incredible film. Yeah. Um, probably the first serial killer film if it's not the if it's not the first serial killer film it's the first kind of one which has embedded itself into our national consciousness and things like that must be Just one the of the s- first talky serial killers yeah yes yeah. yeah so um yeah the story of a child killer um, hunted by society. I don't want to give too much. It's just such a brilliant, brilliant film. It's a long, long time since I saw it when I was studying media at university about 10, 12 years ago. Um, but it, oh, it's just such a. And it's uh, Peter Laura, yeah. isn't it? As uh, his the, speech the central character. His speech in one particular scene, which will be the standout for anyone who sees it, is yeah. utterly brilliant. I mean, it's just yeah. absolutely fantastic. Yeah, uh, and this made a kind of in in Germany just as uh, National Socialism, the Nazi Party were getting going. It's it's mm. a it's a frightening film in a lot of ways, but absolutely essential film uh, and one of Fritz Lang's. I, I think it, I I love Metropolis, but this this is Fritz Lang's best. It's, it's, yeah, um, by far uh, the one yeah. I've seen. It's yeah, definitely his best. <clears throat> so there we go, movie. That's on there. There's a load of great films on there at the moment as well. Okay, Owen? Uh, well, completely opposite to that, I suppose, in many ways. <laughs> I'm going for uh, Rambo, 2008. The return... Not to... seen that. Yeah, it's on uh, Channel 5 <clears throat> on uh, Friday, 10 o'clock. It's actually... You would think... You would be forgiven for thinking it's awful, considering how uh, Rambo 3 was, and that was a terrible film. This is actually really good, and it's... We've talked about it a little bit on past few podcasts about his Sylvester Stallone sort of recent revival. Um, this was, along with Rocky Balboa, was the start mm. of that, and I think it, it shows it, he's still got it. It's a great action film. Very violent. I mean, it's one of the most violent films I think I've seen him in. But, um, yeah, brilliant. Worth a watch. Excellent. Uh, not really much on TV. We haven't got Sky this week. Saturday seems to have the um, pick of the films with um, Kindergarten Cop, half past three on ITV2, uh, ITV1, quarter to four, Star Wars Empire Strikes Back, and quite late on on ITV4, five to midnight, Jarhead. Um, or you can do what i done once and watch Cutthroat Island on film four at quarter to three. <laughs> <laughs> if, if, you, if you really want to watch a bad film... Seriously, it is awful. 
it's so it's it's not even so bad. It's good. It's so bad. It's really bad. <laughs> I I still might watch it though. You have to just please watch it so we can. Okay. Just, yeah. Um. So yes, that's Saturday afternoon. If you if you can't be bothered to watch the football scores come in, do what I suggest, try and do do what I suggested last week. Try and watch match a day about knowing the scores and watch some films in the afternoon. I, My I every wish weekend. I had your life. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's impossible. It will never happen. No, no one. Will no. Do it. Uh, anyway, yes, that's all for failed critics this week so we'd like to thank everybody who has contributed to the podcast in any way and thank you all for listening and we'll be back same time ish next week the failed critics are james diamond steve norman and owen hughes with original music provided by kevin mcleod of incompetech.com you can find us at failedcritics.com at facebook at facebook.com slash failed critics and on twitter at at failed critics Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.